So our reading comes today uh, from Paul's letter to the uh, church in Philippi, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me just say this may be the very first time in my entire career that I have preached from Paul, but the you brood of vipers passage from John the Baptist felt like not the note to end on. (laughs) And it's good for me to preach with Paul. I need to wrestle with Paul. This is an easy one to wrestle with. Dear Harbor friends, this is a thank you letter. Just as Paul ends his letter to the Philippians with an expression of hope for them and thanks for the ways they have supported him and partnered with him in ministry. So I am ending my formal time here with you on that same note. I first worshiped with you three years ago. Gareth and I were visiting with Philip Orr and he invited us to join him here one Sunday morning. As we approached the church, Gareth realized he'd been here before way back in the gateway years. And his surprise and joy at the trajectory you all had taken was just really wonderful to witness. It was the first time... Gareth was teasing me about how long it was going to take before I got choked up this morning. I made it through two paragraphs. (laughs) It was the first time that we worshipped together in Northern Ireland openly as a couple and known we were welcomed. I remember Roy and Phil greeting us that morning. I remember Steve coming over and reminding Gareth that they'd met years ago when Pete Rollins had suggested that Gareth might have some thoughts about the future of what a progressive Christian community might look like here in the North. And then the next summer, we came back and worshipped with you again, this time taking turns in two consecutive weeks, preaching and presiding at the table. And then we returned again in early 2020, and by then we were clear we wanted to explore returning to Northern Ireland for a year. Over lunch with Steve and Mike, we wondered aloud about the possibility of your sponsoring me here for the time. And though they barely knew me, their responses were open and welcoming, which is how I've experienced you from the start. Though COVID delayed our timeline, it gave us time to learn more about visas and sponsorship and develop more clarity about how I might come along beside you for this year and you took a risk on me a burned out university chaplain with a desire to deepen my connection to Northern Ireland my husband's home and I'll say honestly we needed a break from the states it it had been a long few years there and while we had and still have a tremendous network of friends and collaborators back in the states It was time for Gareth to come home for a while, and we were both pretty exhausted by the harder parts of the culture that reared me. The U.S. is a place that dreams big and is often open to possibility, but it's also a place of 
unresolved conflict. And when that gets fueled by aggressive individualism, it can turn pretty ugly. It might seem ironic to some folks that when we longed for a time in a more cohesive society, we chose to return here. <laughs> but despite the challenges of post-conflict Northern Ireland, we celebrate the determination of a community more oriented towards trying to figure out how to live together than return to the chaos of division. It may be messy, but from where I stand, it's also full of beauty and hope. You have so much to teach us. And you, this congregation, are playing a role in setting a vision for what is to come. You give me hope, not just for the future of Northern Ireland, but for why the church still matters in the world. Advent is a time of waiting, and we turn to this letter Paul wrote from prison to the Philippians in this season because it reflects the, that tension between waiting and hope. Ours is an active waiting, an orientation towards God and the world that believes in the incarnation of love. So this brief, brief passage from Paul's letter can be read as a series of statements of goodwill, but when put together, they offer sort of a five-step instruction. It's an instruction on how to face challenging times and one that resonates with me as I look back on our decision to come here, but maybe even more as I anticipate our return home. But while they have application on a personal level, it's important to remember that Paul was writing to a church. So these words are intended to be read and understood collectively to a small community on the fringes of an empire who were charting a path that went against the grain of the dominant religious and political voices of their time. It's a community much like Harbor. So here's those five steps. Step one, rejoice. And just for emphasis, again, I say rejoice. Y'all do this well, and I hope you keep doing it. Celebrate the good thing that is happening in and among you. We encounter God in community, and part of why we gather each week is to call each other to the celebration of God's continued inbreaking in the world. It can be easy to get caught up in the bleak news of the headlines that show up on our phones. So we always begin with remembering the light shining through the cracks. And this isn't a call to turn away from the heaviness of the world, but rather a decision to go into that heaviness with the knowledge and experience of encountering and having encountered and continuing to encounter a loving God. Step two, let your gentleness be known to everyone. I think we can read this instruction in two ways, and both are useful. First, be gentle in how we engage the world, but don't be shy about it. I think about our commitment to an open communion table, an embodiment of God's love poured out in the midst of brokenness. When Steve goes out on the streets on our behalf and stands opposite preachers who cry out with messages based in fear, he does so with a gentle message of loving welcome. Come. 
just as you are, and be fed and nurtured. It's a bold move. We are so often a fear-fueled society, and showing up in the midst of that fear with gentleness is countercultural. Yet that's the call. Be gentle and let that gentleness be known. But the second way to read this phrase is to note that gentleness has vulnerability built into its DNA. So Paul is also saying, be vulnerable. It's a call to show up with one another in our messiness, our vulnerability. The poet Mary Oliver says it this way, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about your despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. The strength of our community depends on our capacity to show up for one another. But that strength can only find its deepest expression if we allow each other the opportunity to know what it is we need. Rejoice, yes, but also tell me of your despair. And I will tell you mine. And let us find ways to tell each other of our despair with gentleness. Because... The violence in the world is so often simply an expression of despair that has not chosen or perhaps even known a way to do it without harming each other. The transformative work of the gospel at both the interpersonal and structural levels lies in the willingness to name what we need. It's risky and it's just as countercultural, but it is the path towards peace. Step three, do not worry about anything. This one's tough. I'm really not good at it. But the idea here is that worry in and of itself isn't particularly productive. There is plenty to be concerned with. And if we are, as Teresa of Avila asserts, Christ's hands and feet in the world, there's also plenty for us to do about it. Choosing an alternate path to worry does not mean sitting idly by, but it does require staying right-sized. The serenity prayer, which is attributed to Reinhold Niebuhr, something that it may have been adapted from earlier sources, might be a good guide here. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. To worry is the opposite of acceptance of the things we cannot change. It's to run up on a brick wall and then bemoan the existence of the wall unproductively. Sometimes we're called to walk around the wall, and sometimes we're called to lament the wall's existence in the first place. But lament is not the same as worry. At its heart, lament is grappling with the hard reality, and it moves us in that same direction of the serenity prayer. But let's not forget that Niebuhr also prays for courage to change the things we can. And I suspect individually, many of us sell ourselves short on that front. So we return to that second step and make our gentleness known so that we may be able to change more than we could do individually when we work collectively. 
So this prayer got popularized in the 30s and 40s as Niebuhr was out preaching and teaching, a time that was marked by the Depression and on into the Second World War. It, it then got picked up by the architects of Alcoholics Anonymous and has uh, spread even further over the last eight or nine decades through 12-step world. I often hear friends that are in that program, in those recovery programs, say something like, this is a we program, or we do this together. It's a collective action that he's talking about here, and it's exactly what Paul is talking about in this letter to the Philippians, figuring out what to accept and what to change, both in our own lives individually and collectively in the world requires discernment and the wisdom to know the difference and discernment works through living in community. So step four of Paul's instruction is to let God in on the process and do it with gratitude and humility. In the end, I may be somewhat of a Christian humanist. My friend explains that idea as God has a plan, it's us. It can be tricky for me sometimes to hold on to God's intervention in the world the way I did as a child at least. It opens up all kinds of questions about suffering and at worst it makes God the author of suffering, seeming to arbitrarily intervene on behalf of some and not on behalf of others. But here's what I'm clearest about. Even in our deepest moments of suffering, we are not alone. God is there with us. If the crucifixion is to mean anything to us, certainly it's at least that. And here in this season of Advent, we are called back to the spiritual practice of waiting. And waiting is hard. I often want things to change on my timetable. Waiting can feel lonely and desperate, but waiting isn't necessarily an action. Looking back to last week's text, we heard John the Baptist evoking Isaiah, calling for us to prepare the way. Our waiting, our hope, when we let our request be known by God, is actively engaged. We work for justice and peace. We hope against hope because we are the people that believe God can make a way out of no way. And finally, the last step in Paul's process is that the peace that surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and minds. This isn't so much a step we can take as it is a step that we can let take us. It's a promise that is both the culmination of the other steps and also a fortifying reminder that can carry us through them. The path Paul sets out is a path to peace. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known. Let God in and then know peace. But even before we can know that peace, when we're still slogging through the path towards us, that peace is there guarding us and waiting for us to see it. In the last year, you've let me travel with you through lockdown, the loss of loved ones, breakups of relationships, nervousness about the future, and you've sent me out into the community to walk with fellow sojourners beyond these walls as they work to address economic inequality, 
hunger and poverty, reproductive justice, safety and wholeness for LGBTQ people, and support for mental health. All of this in a place that is marked by a history of conflict and violence and of healing towards figuring out how to live with each other with gentleness. The inner and outer work of peace run parallel to each other. And there's a reason that so many of our greatest examples of peace builders globally are also people of faith. It requires hope and anticipation of the seemingly impossible alongside steady, long, arduous work on the ground. But peace happens. And for us, Christ Jesus guards our hearts and minds along the way. Friends, my volunteer year is coming to an end, but my relationship to you in this place will continue. Hopefully we'll be back this summer. And what's emerged in our process of discernment as a family is that Gareth and I simultaneously belong to both the north of Ireland and the south of the United States in ways that are still unfolding, but are pointing us towards splitting our time more back and forth between the two. I'm grateful for the space you've afforded us to open the possibilities that are presenting themselves to us. And I'm grateful to you for so much. Mostly for being who you are, for doing what you do in the world, for showing up in the ways you show up, and welcoming a stranger to live and work among you. So, until we meet again, rejoice. Let them know your gentleness. Don't worry. Let God in. And peace be with you, my friends. Much love, y'all. Brian.